I mentioned that Julie is going to be joining me next Sunday. If you have some topics that you want us to cover or questions that you want us to address, you can put that on your connection card, drop it in the bucket at the end of the service. We'll try to get to uh, as many of those as we can next Sunday. Today, we're going to take up one of the most challenging aspects of parenting, and it's, it's the aspect of discipline. And, and there are a lot of things that make discipline complicated. For one is it's always changing. Like how to discipline your kids is not something you figure out when they're born and then you just do the same thing the rest of your life. Uh, it's, it's, it's always constantly changing and needing, you needing to revisit and needing to try something new. Uh, so there's, there's this constant change in our discipline. And then there's the, the, the range of discipline responses. It's a continuum, a spectrum of discipline responses that you're always having to kind of run a grid on, right? Is this, should, should, I, should I drop the hammer on this one? Like, is this, I should just really come down on this one? Or should I lighten up? Or should we have just a conversation? And then that's good enough. Once we talk it through, then everything's going to be fine. Or should I take away everything other than sleeping, eating, and breathing from their life so that I get through to them with us? It's, it's this range of responses, a spectrum of how do I handle this particular situation with them? It's not static. It's not always the same. And I don't know that I can answer all of those questions, but hopefully I can give kind of a framework as we go through this morning uh, to build your ideas of discipline around. To do that, I want to start in the book of Proverbs, which is close to the middle of the Bible. Psalms is in the middle. If you open to the middle, it'll probably open in Psalms. And then to the right of that is the book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs is a collection of sayings, uh, a collection of helpful advice, uh, uh, a collection of practical morals. Like, if you live this way, life's generally going to go better for you. If you live this way, life's generally going to be tougher for you, so live this way. Not only is it a collection of sayings, but it's a, a collection that a parent put together for his children, a dad specifically in this case, uh, getting close to the end of his life said, I, I'm going I'm to write down all of the really great things that I've heard or read or encountered or that I've come to believe that will help shape the trajectory and the future of my child. And so Solomon writes to his kids, that's, that's why often in the Proverbs you'll find phrases like, my son, you should do this, or my child, don't do this, do this other thing, or listen to your parents, listen to your mom, listen to your dad, because we're trying to tell you helpful things. One of those pieces of advice comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and this is what the dad says to his son. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the, Lord's, the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So don't view with contempt. Don't try to avoid discipline. God disciplines those he loves, just like a parent disciplines children that he or she loves. Now, a couple of things to draw from that proverb, and one of them is that discipline's just a part of life. I mean, he speaks of discipline as if to say, look, you're going to encounter discipline all throughout your life. In your spiritual life, it's going to happen. 
God's going to correct you. He's going to train you. He's going to encourage you. Uh, sometimes He's going to confront you. It's going to happen. And then He compares that to a home. It's going to be discipline in your home. But we could even go beyond that. Uh, school's discipline, right? We, we all experienced discipline when we were in school, training and correction and, and boundaries. Jobs have discipline. I mean, you have a supervisor that wants you to do certain things a certain way. And if you don't do them that certain way, then they're going to correct you. They're going to revisit that and say, no, I, I ask you to do it this way. Don't do it that way. If you, if you mess that up enough, you're probably not going to have that supervisor anymore, right? Because they're going to ask you to leave. Discipline is a part of life. We're going to have it in every area of our life. But the other thing that we learn from this particular proverb is that effective discipline is motivated by love. It's motivated by the fact that I care about the person that I'm disciplining. I care about their future. I care about who they're becoming. And I want certain things for their good because I love them, because I care about them. Therefore, I'm going to bring some discipline into their life. That's the way God treats us. It's out of His love, motivated by love, carried out in love, that God gives us guidelines and parameters and sometimes correction and training and, and confronts us at times out of His love for us. And, and as parents, the most effective training and discipline we're going to give to our kids is that discipline that's coming out of our love for their best and their future and wanting to see them become all that God intends for them to become. And then it's given in the environment, in the atmosphere of love, which obviously means that discipline can be given without love, right? I mean, discipline can be harsh and demeaning and cruel and, and, and can be characterized by harsh words and critical language that crushes. That's not effective discipline according to the proverb writer. Effective discipline is when out of love, out of a concern for our child, we implement parameters, we implement discipline. So the question, before we get to discipline or, or practical ideas or framework for discipline, the starting question is, do my kids really know that I love them? I mean, do they, is there any doubt in their mind? that my heart is for them. They're not going to like everything I decide. They're not going to like everything that I do. They're not going to like the way I do everything. But at the end of the day, foundationally, do they know dad loves them? Like dad would never intentionally do anything to harm or crush or demean. I, I love them. Sometimes we have a discussion about generations and the way Different generations expressed or didn't express emotions. Uh, primarily if your parents were in the World War II generation or if your parents were raised by the World War II uh, generation. Often we'll say about that generation, the greatest generation, according to Tom Brokaw, he's probably right, because of their courage and their persistence. But we'll often say about that generation, we'll say, well, they didn't really show emotion. Like they were dependable. I knew that they loved me, but they didn't really say, I love you. Uh, they, they weren't touchy-feely. Like they didn't show a lot of emotion. I totally get that. It was a different time. It was a different era. And it, what I would say today is that's not today. Like we're not that generation. Right? Your kids and grandkids and 
and nieces and nephews and, and in, any person under you that you're mentoring and, and trying to be a role model for, they need to know, without a doubt, this person loves me. And we may not always agree. And I may not always like what they decide. But without a doubt, they love me. And they need to hear us say that. They need to see us model it. They need to see in our priorities, in our calendar, in our daytimer, you're loved. You'll never, ever have to question my love for you. It's one of the reasons that we've given you those dinner questions uh, throughout the series. Uh, we have a family activities part of our website, and you go on, it gives you questions every week. Hey, just ask these questions because we know that, that effective training... Uh, effective spiritual role modeling begins with open communication lines and safety and, and kids feeling like, yes, I'm loved here. So we're encouraging you, just start having conversations. And in some ways, it doesn't matter what those conversations are about. They can be about unimportant things because if you have enough conversations about unimportant things, eventually you're going to get to have a conversation about an important thing because they're going to trust you. And they're going to be used to talking to you. And they're going to know, mom loves me, dad loves me. We can have these sort of conversations. Um, our love for our kids provides the foundation and the atmosphere for our dis discipling and our disciplining of our kids. The, the most unloving thing God could ever do for us is just let us do whatever we want. Ever think about that? The most unloving thing that God could do for me is let me fulfill all of my desires the way I feel like they should be desired. God loves me too much for that. So he steps into my life and he says, look, here's where the boundaries are. Like if, if you want to experience joy, if you want a full life, if you want a great life, if you want to really discern your purpose and your calling in life, then live within these boundaries. That's an act of his love. One of the most unloving things parents can do is never draw boundaries for their kids. Is never train, model, correct, discipline, point towards. It's one of the most unloving things a parent can do for their child. One of the saddest verses in all the Old Testament to me, in all the Old Testament stories, is a verse that comes right at the end of King David's life. We know King David, he killed Goliath the giant. Um, he was a Second king of Israel. Most famous king, uh, some would say the most successful king over all of, uh, all of Israel's history, still revered to this day, and yet his home life was a wreck. It comes at the end of his life, and David's getting ready to turn the throne over to one of his sons, a guy named Solomon, who actually wrote Proverbs, put, put Proverbs together. And so as, as this transition is getting ready to happen, a, another son decides to rebel. He decides to lead a rebellion against his father and take over the throne for himself. And in the midst of all of this happening, this is what 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6, verse 6 says. His father, the father of the rebellious son, his father had never rebuked him asking, why do you behave as you do? You know why David ended up in this situation with a rebellious child? It's because David had never stepped into his life and said, why, why are you acting that way? This is not the way you should act. This is not the way you should speak. This is not the choice that you should make. Like I know perfect, great parents have rebellious kids too. But in this case, David had never provided any discipline in the life of his son. David had never confronted his son not one time to say, 
I think there's a better way to do that. I think you need to stop doing that. I'm going to draw some boundaries around you. Don't behave this way anymore. David had never done that in the life of his son. And as a result, his son ends up destroying himself. And in some ways, destroying David's family and the other connections in their family. All because David didn't love him enough to challenge him. Didn't love him enough to confront him, to discipline him. Have you ever thought about this? And, and I want to be careful with, with how I phrase this, but have you ever thought about the fact that when we fail to provide loving discipline in the life of our kids, our kids are the ones who pay the price for that? They pay the price for that in their future, in their relationships. And yeah, I, I may pay the price of grief and sorrow over them, but if I fail to train and correct and teach and model for my kids, they end up paying that price because somebody's going to confront them at some point in their life. Uh, if, I could, if I could be really personal with you for just a minute, uh, parenting is a personal thing. Uh, it, it cuts deep. Uh, to those of us who are parents, and, and we, we all have successful moments and we all have regrets and things we wish we would have done differently. Uh, in, in our home, there are times as, as our girls were growing up when they would have a friend over, and I, I understand that kids will be kids, right? And children do childish things, and, and all of that's at work. And this friend didn't respect anything about us or our house or about our sibling, uh, the siblings of, of our daughter that they came to see. with, and, and we understand one time somebody's having a bad day, but if it's two times and if it's three times, we've had conversations with our girls, and, and I don't know if you have as parents, but we've had conversations to say, okay, next time we need to invite a different friend. We need to invite a different friend because two or three times they've come into our home and they've, and they've shown us they don't know how to respect us as adults. They don't know how to respect our home. We've repaired the drywall two times now since <laughs> after their visits. It's cart. Just look at the couch. It bears the evidence that they've been to our house before. They don't. Whatever's happening at their home, we love them. We, we love their parents. But they're not coming back into our home if they don't understand how to be respectful. We, as our girls have, have gone through various stages... We've had to have this conversation a couple times. Uh, our daughter would go to visit a friend, spend the night with a friend, and we would have to say to her, when you come back, it takes us three days to get you back to a child we can actually love when you come back from that person's house. A child we don't want to harm greatly. Because apparently you go to their house and they speak to their parents a certain way and you come home and think you can speak to us that way. <laughs> We're not them. <laughs> and, and if this continues, if kind of this effect, as it, as it has in our parenting, if that continues in the life of one of our kids, we say, you know what? We think there needs to be a little distance between you and that child and we're going to help you with that. We're going to make sure there's plenty of distance between you and them. And the, and the sad reality in, in some cases is it's not really the child's fault. It's that there's been no boundaries. 
There's been no, this is how we act around other people. This is what we expect of you. Again, kids will be kids. Children will do childish things. I totally get that. But when there's the pattern of that, right? And don't look at me like you've never done it, mom and dad. All right? We're in the same boat here. You, you've, you've maneuvered things with certain relationships because you realize this is not healthy. As a matter of fact, that's part of our responsibility. It's our job as moms and dads to draw boundaries, to draw lines, and to monitor those lines. That's our God-giving responsibility. And boundaries are not a bad thing. That's, we don't need to think of boundaries as just some negative, harsh thing, because they're not. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to think of it this way. Boundaries in the life of your child or in your life, boundaries provide clarity, security, and freedom. They're not harsh. They're not demeaning. Boundaries provide clarity, security, and freedom. In other words, they clarify where the line is. Okay, look, this is a healthy environment to live within. Outside of this, not healthy. This is outside of this, problems. These are where the lines are. Provides clarity. It provides security. Some of you know, a couple of weeks ago, we went to New York. Um, Delta invited us to stay three extra days because they couldn't get us home. Uh, during those 30 rocks, some friends of ours had been in town, and they had their own car, so they left us and drove home, but they hadn't used their 30 rock tickets, and because we had to pay for three more days in New York, we were looking for free things to do. So we had these free tickets to 30 rock, and we go to the top of 30 rock, and here's a picture. Now, I'm afraid of heights. Uh, my middle child who's on the right, Lily, she's afraid of heights. We don't like the elevator ride. We don't like being up there. But once you get up there, there are these plexiglass boundaries, these walls. You can see it in the picture behind them. There's these little squares to say, this is as far as you need to go. As far as you need to go. You are free to go anywhere you want within these boundaries and you'll be safe. Now that gives comfort to somebody who's afraid of heights. Right. I want to know there's no chance I'm getting close to the edge. Right. There's no chance this is going to be dangerous. And so I, you have all this wonderful freedom. And then, I mean, if you're afraid of heights, all you have to worry about then are earthquakes and tsunamis and locust swarms and, and the building just deciding to fall over. Because that's what, that's what people who are afraid of heights do. But you know boundaries are clear. And I'm safe anywhere in here. I can take pictures, I can go right up to the edge, I can see the sights, I can enjoy being here because the boundaries are clear. That's what parenting is, that's what discipline is. Discipline is saying, you got freedom, you got freedom all in here, but here's the boundaries. Use your freedom inside, but know where the boundaries are, and, and there's security there, there's safety there. Can I share something with you, mom and dad? And if you hadn't already thought about this, really think about it. Our kids really like the security of knowing where the boundaries are. They really do. Now, they're going to push against them sometimes as they get older. They're going to push them. They're going to want them changed. They're going to want them moved. They're going to tell you why they should be in a different place. It gives our kids security to know hey, mom and dad have outlined where the safe places are. When it comes to their friends, when it comes to where they go and how long they can be out, at the end of the day, 
Most of the time, our kids like us making that call. They don't want to have to make that call all the time. They want to know this is where the boundaries are, and I'm free anywhere in here, and I'm going to be secure anywhere in here. So mom and dad, we cannot abdicate this role. We cannot step back from this role. And, and certainly, boundaries get extended as they mature. It's not a, you set them once and you never move them. As they get older, as they learn responsibility, certainly boundaries move and shift. But that's our call. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, the boundaries and the discipline are not supposed to be demeaning. They're not supposed to be harsh. They're not supposed to be cruel. They're not supposed to be critical. Paul deals with this in Ephesians chapter 6. He writes, fathers, it could also apply to mothers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Don't exasperate. Don't discourage, don't beat down, don't demoralize, don't crush your kids in the way that you parent them, the way that you discipline them, but bring them up to know what God wants for them. Discipline is not about beating down, discipline is about bringing up. Discipline's not about spoiling fun. Discipline is about bringing our kids up to the place where God wants them. So that they can know and enjoy the purposes and plans and fullness that he has for their lives. And if we fail to discipline, then we're failing to bring them up to that place. We're failing to train them up. Now, that has to inform, that has to influence, this idea of bringing up has to influence how I discipline. And if I'm disciplining out of anger, I'm probably not bringing up. I'm I'm probably beating down. If I'm disciplining out of embarrassment, and we've all done it, right? You're in the middle of Walmart. They're on temper tantrum. They're embarrassing you, and you respond because you're embarrassed in public for this to be going on. If I'm, if I'm disciplining out of my embarrassment or out of my anger or out of the way this is making me look, I'm probably not bringing them up. I'm probably responding by, by beating them down. Right? We, we all know the number one rule of seeing someone discipline their kids in public is don't make eye contact, right? You're just like, whoa, you just, you just try to walk away. Yeah, because it looks so wrong when somebody else is doing it, but it feels so right when it's me. Right? I think, oh, that mom is crazy. Look at the way she's... In the next door, I'm doing the same thing. Right? It always looks different when I'm the one doing if, I, if I'm If I'm disciplining out of anger or out of my embarrassment for the situation, I'm probably, probably not bringing up. I'm probably beating down. The goal of discipline is to bring up. To bring them up closer to what God wants for their lives. When it comes to establishing discipline, I think there's two big categories that you have to consider. Two big categories. First category is appropriate expectation. If we're going to bring our kids up, if we're going to train them up in the instruction of the Lord, 
The first thing we as parents have to figure out is, all right, well, what does that look like? What is the appropriate expectation for my child's behavior given their age, given their maturity, given where they are socially? That's going to change. Obviously, appropriate expectations at three is not the same as appropriate expectations at 13. You you can't even say a pretty level expectations for 10-year-olds is this because every 10-year-old is different. Maturity level, their social ability, things that may be going well for them or challenging them. All of that has to be considered, but mom and dad, you have to think for every child where they are, the stage where they are, what is an appropriate expectation for this child? And then as they mature, okay, now what's the appropriate expectation? And then how do I model that? How do I bring them up to that? How do I encourage that in their life? How do I reward that sometimes? How do I move them, bring them up to that expectation? So that's one big category. What's the appropriate expectation for this child at this stage and their age and their maturity and emotional level? The second big category then, if we have an appropriate expectation, what's the appropriate consequence when the expectation is not met? It's the what then question. All right, They don't get there. What then? Well, maybe we need to revisit the expectation. Maybe it's not clear. Maybe, maybe they tried and came up short, and I can help them and encourage them. Or maybe there's some level of punishment that needs to be implemented. Appropriate expectation, appropriate consequence. Now, how do we fill in those two categories? Three things you can do. Fill in these categories. Number one, decide what the appropriate expectations and appropriate consequences are. This, is, this is, starts out as mom and dad, mom or dad, all right? This starts out with us for me getting clarity for myself on what appropriate expectations and appropriate consequences should look like if I'm bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord. What are they? And, and, and I realize... You could come up with a list of 100 things, and kids are wonderfully creative at getting like right in between 41 and 42, like slipping under the line. Over, the, But you didn't say, I get that. I get that kids are really creative about finding a way to break the rule. But it, the other thing I would say to you is it's a lot easier to parent when you're not making it up as you go along. Like when you've pre-decided, hey, these are important things right here. These, these are the things that we're going to be non-negotiable on. These are the priorities. These aren't quite as important, but we're trying to move them in that direction. We're not going to come down quite as hard on that particular area. Listen, everything about your parenting can't be a felony. right? Every bad decision your child makes can't be a felony. Not, not every broken rule deserves solitary confinement and bread and water, right? Or, or any of you should deserve that. But what I'm saying is not everything deserves the full extent of all. So you've got to decide. What are the appropriate expectations? What are the appropriate consequences? If you ask one of my daughters, what are the, what's the big one for dad? They can probably tell you the big one. The big one for dad is don't lie to dad. Right? That's the big one. Don't lie to dad. And if you lie to dad, you better be really, really good at it because I better not find out that you lied to me. Like you better be expert liar or else it's going to be bad. All right? That's, that's a big one to me. It, because once my ability to trust you is gone, like the, the, our whole relationship shifts now. 
Like, you can tell me anything. You can be honest with me about anything, and we'll get through it, and we'll pray about it, and we'll, we'll find a way forward. But if you lie to me, that shifts our whole relationship. That's a big one to me. I'm not saying it should be a big one to you. It's a big one to me. Don't lie to Dad. Uh, another big one for me is don't be cruel to other people. Like, don't be mean. There's a lot of meanness in the world today. My girls have been mean too. They go through those phases. That's a big one for me. We're, we're going to treat other people with the same love that God treats us with. We're, we're going to be compassionate towards other people. All I'm saying is, you got to decide. These are the appropriate expectations. These are the appropriate consequences. Next step, clarify or convey the appropriate expectations and appropriate consequences. Your kids have to know that you have those expectations. I mean, if your kid's breaking a rule and they don't know it's a rule, then that's not all on them. I mean, if, you, if you haven't clarified, this is what we expect, and, and this is how we live it out, and this is how we're going to help you, and we're going to celebrate when you get it, and we're going to reward you, and it's going to be great. And If they don't know, then how can they fully be blamed? Again, I, I realize kids are always going to say, well, you didn't say exactly. I, I get that. I get that. But convey, clarify. These are the expectations. And these are the consequences if, if you don't meet the expectation. Now, when they're young, mom and dad, you're doing all of that, right? You're setting all the expectations. You're setting all the consequences. As they get older, one of the things we've found useful is setting them down and saying, okay, what do you think is an appropriate expectation in this area? What do you think is an appropriate expectation of your curfew and when you'll be home. And if they say 3 a.m., they don't get to decide anymore, right? Like, sorry, <laughs> wrong answer. You don't get to be a part of this game anymore. But generally, that's not what happened. Generally, we have a pretty healthy conversation about why we think it should be time and, and why it shouldn't be that time. And sometimes we compromise and sometimes we meet in the middle. But as they get older, having that conversation, what, what do you think? Is an appropriate expectation for your room, right? Considering you're not the only person who lives in this place. We all have to live here. We all have to see your room. Company comes over. We want them to think we're civilized people. What's an appropriate expectation, do you think, for a 16-year-old as far as their room goes? What's an appropriate expectation for your grades, you know, given... Your academic level, given where you are, we don't expect all A's, but we expect you to work hard. We expect you to turn things in on time. What do you think is reasonable to, look, to expect? And then what do you think is appropriate consequence if you don't meet some of these? So you, you can begin to involve them in this conversation, but it needs to be clarified as much as possible. This is what we expect. This is what we think is a reasonable consequence if you consistently miss this. I'm not saying every time we're just killing them, but if you're consistently missing. And then the third one really should be the easy one. If you've decided what appropriate uh, expectations, appropriate consequences are, if you've communicated clearly what appropriate expectations and, uh, and appropriate consequences are, the only thing left to do is follow through. That's the only thing left to do. Follow through with your appropriate expectations and appropriate consequences. Just, just do what you said you would do. 
Just when you had the big meeting, when you laid it all out, then just follow through. Which seems like the easiest one, right? Because nothing's left to be decided. We've already decided that A plus B would equal C. But sometimes that's the hard one too, right? That's the hard one too. And I'm not suggesting there's never a time for grace. I'm not suggesting that there aren't individual circumstances. But consistently when we've clarified, here are our expectations, here are the consequences, mom and dad, we just got to be consistent. We just got to be consistent. That's one of our big downfalls. Is they, our, our, our kids often don't know, are they going to get the stick to the consequences parent, or are they going to get the go easy parent? Right? I'm, I'm lobbying for the go easy parent. Right? I'm lobbying for them not really looking at this one. I'm lobbying to skate by on this one. They need consistency. Right? This is our expectation. We, we didn't meet it this time. Here's the consequence for that. Just follow through. Be consistent. This mom and dad. Now, to wrap this up, this disciplining out of love, this disciplining for their good is not just about getting them to behave a certain way. And if that's our thinking, then we need to retrain our thinking. This is not about just about behavior modification. It's not about do's and don'ts. Disciplining out of love at its heart is about changing the heart. It's about getting them to see things in a certain way. Getting them to be able to discern right and wrong for themselves. Because I'm not going to be with them every time. They're going to leave my house. They're going to go to college. They're going to have a life of their own. They're going to be at a friend's house. And they're going to have to decide, A or B. Like our, our goal in, in parent is to shape their heart. To, to shape their will. To shape their thinking. Isn't that what God does with us? I mean, God doesn't just come to our lives and say, all right, I want everybody to behave this way, and I want you to do this, and I want you to not do this. I mean, Jesus talked about this all the time. He said, no, what I want is I want your heart to change. I want you to see things differently. I want you to feel things differently, and then your behavior will follow. Like, you're going to move in alignment with your heart, so I want your heart to be right, and that will affect the way you so as we're teaching, as we're setting expectations and consequences, it's not just to keep our kids out of bad situations. It's so that, so that we train their heart when they have to make those decisions for themselves. So that they're able to think godly and clearly when they have to make those decisions for ourselves. Just like God does with us. Like, I want your heart to be right. And so, mom and dad, we, we can't just stop at getting the right behavior. Like, there should never be a discipline moment that you don't come back around and debrief with your child and say, that this is why we think this is important. You, you know why dad thinks lying is so, such a big deal? It's because I want, I want you to have a heart that's honest. Like, I don't want you to grow up. And, and have to cover up things your whole life because you, you, you cheated or you lied or you, you weren't completely honest. Like I, I want your heart to be pure and I want your heart to be true and honest. Why, why do I care about how you treat other people? Because I want you to have a heart of compassion. I, I want you to see people as made in the image of God. 
I, I want you to care about hurting people and vulnerable people as well as people that you're close to. I want you to have a heart for people because God has a heart for people. And so, yeah, the way you treat other people is a really big deal to me. We're training hearts, and that's a huge responsibility. And we don't do it alone like we said last week. That the ultimate parent, our Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit empowers us and gives grace when we fail, and we all fail as parents because this is such a big job. And so vitally important that we shape the hearts and minds of our kids. Let's pray. God, thank you for being a good, good father. We sing it sometimes, but it's true. You're a good father. And as a good father, you you lovingly encourage and train and correct and, and discipline us. Not just to get certain behaviors, but... So that our heart will mirror your heart and our mind will think the thoughts that you would think. And so as parents, help us not to shy away from that. Help us to understand the great calling we have in in establishing boundaries and parameters, giving clear instruction. And help us to follow through. Not in a harsh way, not in a demeaning, critical way that, that's happening in our world. Not, not to beat down, but to bring up so that our kids would live in the instruction and teaching of the Lord. And give us grace where we fail. Give us the willingness to ask our kids for forgiveness when we blow it. And help us to raise up a generation who love you and follow you and live for you and realize this world is not all there is, but there is a kingdom that we cannot see. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.